Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Neil Bage is the founder and director of Behavioural Insight at BIQ and a keynote speaker. After years of working for financial service companies, he recognised that all too often, whilst companies claimed to really understand their customers, the reality was they knew very little about them, especially when it came to how they made important decisions around money. So he decided to set up his own company to tackle this head on. He's a specialist in subconscious behaviour, a bit worried about that, and his work cleverly combines science and psychology to help others make better decisions to improve their financial health and well-being. Now, when I mention names like Santander, HSBC, Barclays or global media giant Verizon, owners of AOL, Yahoo and now Oath, all of which have been attracted by what Neil has to offer, you'll get a very good idea of his calibre. I'm somewhat humbled to be in his presence, but I'm delighted, nevertheless, to welcome today Sandro Forte podcast guest, Neil Bage, with a hard G. With a hard G, good morning, Sandro. Brilliant to be with you today. Likewise. Uh, you have been recommended to this podcast by numerous people, not least our mutual acquaintance, dear mm. friend Elio Pace, or Pace. Uh, so it's fantastic to, to have finally made this happen because I know you're a busy chap and we're going to find out all about you. So straight into it, if we may, Neil. Absolutely. For those of you who don't know very much about Neil Bage with a hard G, uh, <laughs> tell us about who you are, background, just so we kind of get a bit yeah. of a flavour, and then we're going to start to do a little bit of a deep dive into what you do right now. Okay, so let's start right back at the very beginning. So I was born in the northeast of England in a seaside town called Hartlepool. And I left Hartlepool, um, I studied to be a PE teacher, and realised at some point, you know what, I need to find my feet. Didn't really know whether that was actually what I wanted to do. So I left the northeast and went down to um, another seaside resort of Bognor Regis. I tell you, it's, oh, my life was full Been of there. beautiful play, play places. Golf there. <laughs> nice golf course. Yeah. Um, and I did a Christmas um, kind of season, if you like, working at Butlands in Bognor Regis, which was owned at the time by Rank Leisure. And I ended up staying there for two years nearly I reckon met my wife Sandra there um, and then left that kind of that world temporarily and fell into the world of financial services then ended up where I kind of am now in the, still in the financial sector but running my own business looking at how people make decisions you are the first red coat we've ever had on the Sandro Forte podcast. There you go. I'm absolutely honoured to to take that mantle. <laughs> and the first person to originate from Bognor Regis, or Hartlepool, for that matter. Via Bognor Regis. So what on earth, the obvious question, Neil, yep, yep. what on earth led you from Butlins in Bognor Regis to financial services? Apart from the obvious, which is none of us plan to go into that kind of sector, do we, unless it's by accident? We never do. And do you know, you know what it was, Sandra? It was I, so I, I met my wife whilst I was at, at, in Bognor Regis, Sandra, and she was a red coat as well. And she left before me. And I, and I, kind, it was kind of one of those crossroads again 
or T-junctions, whichever the mm. correct analogy is, left or right. And it was one of those things of, you know, what do I do here? Do I stay here and just forge a career as a an entertainer? Because um, that's what I was doing there. Or do I just follow the woman? And I followed the woman. And I went down, she lived in Hampshire at the time, so I went to Hampshire and, you know, she met, met her friends. And one of her friends, a lady called Karen McCormack, worked for a financial services company called Scandia. Mm-hmm who were based in Southampton, who I'm sure you'll be yeah, aware of, absolutely. who are no longer with us. But um, And she just, you know, we met in a, a pub one night and we were chatting and she said to me, look, I could do with someone a little bit more lively in my team. Do you fancy coming to work for me? As in just, just doing admin in, and, and while you find your feet, I can give you that opportunity. And I just said yes. And 13 years later, 14 years later, I'd worked my way up from going at, a, at level one, as an admin clerk, um, reporting to the chief executive. So it was an amazing journey. Um, and once I was in, I found elements of financial services that I really liked. And it was all to do with what I'd learned as a PE, studying PE. So it was all the psychology stuff mm. really fascinated me and hence where I am today. We use that word fascinated. The reason I'm so fascinated to have you on this show is because we well, have lots of reasons, not least the psychological aspect of all the things that we do, because we, as we talked about before the show started, so many people don't really just don't get it. But I have to also ask you, what led you to really kind of capture that aspect of we're using financial services as your vehicle to discuss this today, but, you know, in life in general, mm. what led to that kind of that fascination, that um, that desire to look at how people really kind of react to different things and make key decisions, especially when it comes to money? I've always been inquisitive. I've Ever since I was a child, much to my parents' annoyance, I would take things apart because I wanted to figure out how they worked. So I've always had a really deeply inquisitive mind. And I remember watching... I can't remember what year this was. It was a, um, a Masters golf. And I remember watching Seve Ballesteros putting to win the Masters. And the putt was literally two feet. And he missed by what seemingly looked like a mile. And I remember watching it thinking, but he's one of the best golfers in the world. How on earth can he miss that? And then I went on and studied sports psychology and it all became very clear to me that what goes on in our heads defines who we are it influences every decision that we make and we allow biases to creep in and influence the way that we see the world that that we live in so kind of with that background if you like that understanding that the brain is you and and kind of influences every choice we make I wanted to figure out is there a way therefore that when people are making decisions where emotions are high money decisions how can we get into the heads of people and figure out the influence that their thoughts, their emotions, their behavioural biases are having on the financial decisions that they're making, which, of course, could have a material impact on the rest of their life? So I, so the, 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 it's kind of a, to a degree, it's a tenuous link, but the link is, is kind of, the link is there that when you watch somebody do something and the outcome is influenced by their brain, bringing that into the world of finance and try to help people make better financial decisions was was the the way that I wanted to head. We probably don't have time today, Neil, to dissect this Mm. uh, completely. But, you know, the whole left brain, right brain thing, Mm. people make emotional decisions using right side of their brain and logical ones using the left side of their brain. How, how in your experience, did all of those aspects that you've learned and and been fascinated by for so long, um, how did that manifest itself then in terms of the work you were doing with clients? And what were the things that you were discovering that, A 
you know, financial planners, let's use mm-hmm. those because that was the world in which you were working at the time. Um, what were the fundamental things that they were getting wrong and, and where where do you help people to transition to? I Kind of a lot of the questions there no, in one sentence. All, apologies. but Not at all, not at all. Because I'm, I'm actually just thinking, I don't think the phrase, what were they getting wrong, is an accurate reflection of what, what was going on in the world I just don't think they had the the tools at their disposal to do a really deep thorough job mm. so the job they were doing was was great given that the armory of, of, of tools they had but there were some things missing so so you you up until recently it was really hard to taking to take the science and figure out I need to ask people questions and get inside of their heads so one of the areas that has been kind of well tried and tested is how you you can ask people questions to understand how they um, approach risk taking in relation to money right but but there was a whole there's a whole other kind of area of psychology that just has never been tested for example we've never been able to test accurately um, how confident a person is and of course every human suffers with overconfidence but some people when it comes to money suffer with underconfidence you know they think they know what you know they think they know what they're doing but they haven't got the courage to put that into practice we know that there are behavioral biases like framing you know how you present information to people and the one i use at conferences sandro is um, you know if you walked into a room and there was yogurt sat out on a table half of them said 80% fat free and the other said contains 20% fat most people would naturally turn to the 80% fat-free, yet Mm. the product is identical, but they are framed in different ways. And how people frame information to people that they then use to make a decision can have a material impact on the outcome. So all of these kind of little psychological nuances that go on in the decision-making process, um, I knew that they existed, but advisors, financial advisors, financial planners didn't have the tool set to be able to extract them from within the client's minds mm. and then put them into practical use from a financial planning perspective. I want to be really clear about one thing because I know you're a really super guy. Uh, you come highly recommended by lots and <laughs> lots of people. And I know the work you're doing uh, has foundations that are built on really understanding people, yep. helping them to make the right decisions. This is not about manipulating people. I want to be very clear about that because there will be sceptics going, well, hang on a minute. Uh, Neil Bage is the guy who's going to make me mm. make decisions I don't want to make. Mm. So to be clear, this is about helping people to make better decisions because things are presented in the right way in a way that emotionally they can they can adapt to and logically they can sequence and they can they can work through you are, you know what sandra you just you said something there which prodded something internally in me a lot of my conference speaking is around telling people look this goes on in your heads but i apply, i talk about it in the context of how to avoid scams how to avoid being scammed i find and this is just a personal thing here. I find any human being who takes advantage of another human being for their gain absolutely abhorrent. I really do. So this work that I'm doing, that I've spent the last five years doing, is absolutely not about giving people the, the tricks and, and, and the, the insight to manipulate other people. It's about giving them the insight to say, I can help you make a better decision with a better outcome. That's all. And, and actually, we've built in mechanisms that kind of make it, um, you know, 
it make it difficult mm. for people to misuse. I'm not saying it couldn't be, because that's just the nature of the human being. Um, but we try our hardest not to to ensure to ensure that that's not the outcome. So where then? I suppose obvious question, uh, and a natural lead into this question, Neil. Where's where did BIQ come from? It came. Fr- it came from. So, so I'm working at Scandia. I leave Scandia. I work for other f- big financial services companies. Always in senior jobs, and realised. Do you know what? The way that they engage with customers. You know the kind of the excuse that the, the sexist line here, but the man on the street um, was just. Uh, wrong. <laughs> it was wrong. It was kind of, right, let's find people who are wealthy, who live in these certain postcode areas, and let's just sell them stuff. Mm. And that rubbed me up the wrong way, because I kind of think of my mum and my dad and my sisters, and I think, you know what, they're all bright people. But does that mean necessarily because they're bright and they're educated that they have good enough financial capability to make important financial decisions? And the answer is no, it doesn't mean one doesn't equal the other at all. So I kind of thought, do you know what? I reckon I can solve this problem. I reckon I can figure out the financial capability of people, play it back to them so that they know whether or not they should be making decisions on their own or whether they should be seeking the help of an advisor. And by advisor, I don't necessarily mean a financial advisor. I mean someone who they trust deeply to help them make decisions. And I I remember sitting one day just thinking, if you apply the psychological understanding that I have and you apply really amazing technology so so people could kind of play games and reveal unconscious behaviours in them, and then play that back to them, that will give them the insight they need to start making better decisions, to save more, to try and get out of debt, you know, to invest better. And that was that kind of moment, that epiphany, was the start of BIQ, behavioural IQ. Me thinking, do you know what? I, I'm, I've always been inquisitive, as I said. I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to I'm going to take the chance. I'm going to I'm going to do something that I've always wanted to do but never had the courage to do. And I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to set up my own company and I'm going to try and make a difference to people's lives, you know, in a in a really good way and BIQ was born. Can I jump in there then? Please do. Um, I, I love hearing the words wanted to do because actually that links quite nicely with the work that you're doing. You know, the whole want, need thing. Uh, often we hear advisors, don't we, say, so what you need, Neil, is X, Y, Z, mm. whereas the question should be, you know, what do you want? Wave that magic wand, picture what it is you're mm. trying to achieve. But I, I love the, the reference to this. it's what I wanted to do because respectfully, I don't see a CV that says, you know, uh, A-level in psychology and a, and a BA in psychology. Mm. I see someone who has a passion for something mm. and, okay, overcame the inertia caused by a lack of confidence, but eventually did it. So mm-hmm. I suppose from what I'm hearing, that was almost step one for you on the, on the road to success. Yeah, that's a really, really good um, insight into me, actually. You're right. You know, I, I'd studied sports psychology, but you're right, I'm not a PhD, but I have a deep passion for the subject and I have a deep passion for helping people um, kind of, you know, not be manipulated and make better decisions. Um, but, you know, but you're right. It's interesting because I, I think... What prevents people doing what I did or what I've done is courage is one. It's quite difficult to take that first step forward. It really is. Especially when, you know, you're putting all of your financial, you know, everything you've built on the line. Mm. It's difficult. But I think and what I've learned is if you have a deep passion 
and your kind of your 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 morals are right. You're doing it for the right reason, and you're a good person, and you work hard. Then do you know what? You don't need to be a PhD to do that. No. And actually, the 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 irony here, Sandro, is uh, we work with lots of PhDs, and sometimes not all of the times, but sometimes they can be so kind of academic in the way that they're thinking that the commercial application of this thing is completely missed. And I'm trying to fuse the academic world with the commercial world and wrap that up into a solution that we can give to people that allows them to make better decisions. Mm. Um, so yeah, interesting interesting insight. I love the fact that you've combined two words I'm just kind of plucking out the air, mm. science and psychology and, mm. and combining them. Where did that kind of inspiration come from? Obviously, you've worked as a PE teacher, so mm. you kind of get the whole sports psychology bit. You're, you know, you've, you've referred to events like Sevi Ballesteros missing mm. a putt in the Masters. But um, I'm just interested to know where the kind of the science and psychology worlds collided for you and and maybe you could even give us an insight into one or two specifics around the work that you do within BIQ. Yeah, absolutely. So I, so the, where did they where did this all where did they collide is a really interesting question and I think it goes back again probably the third time I've said this now so apologies to me being inquisitive and me going, do you know what? Understanding what's going on inside people's heads is fine. But I want to understand why it's going on in their heads, what causes it to go on in their heads, and how you can kind of take that out and wrap it up in a framework that someone can look at and go, that's me. Wow, okay, now I know that, I can do something about it. Part one of that is is obviously the psychology, but the other part is how can you take something that follows the principles of science, so it's repeatable and it's valid, um, and, and deliver that to... Uh, you know, a person, the man on the street, you know, because they're not scientists and they need to understand it. So one of the things that I've learned over the years is how to simplify quite complex subject matters, which is why I tend to be drawn in and uh, to big conference speaking or the conference speaking circuit, because I, I have gained an ability to speak to any person about quite complex psychological um, theories and make it meaningful to them to the point where they go, I want to learn about this. I can understand the benefit of learning about this. So so I think whilst science and psychology, to use your words, yes, they collided. I, I think there was, there was multiple collision points along the way that have allowed me to quickly adapt and develop the business to the to the place where it is today. And, you know, and just to give you, an, you're, you know, you asked for an example, if you take... Um, so one of the behavioural biases that we all suffer with that kind of leads us to a place where maybe we shouldn't be is what psychologists call the mother of all behavioural biases, and it's called confirmation bias. Now, confirmation bias is where you seek out evidence to support your views or your beliefs, whilst at exactly the same time ignoring evidence that could prove that you're wrong. So you kind of put blinkers on to the to, to the to the you know to the truth because you don't really want to know the truth. You just want to know what you what you believe. So we thought, well, this is really difficult because you know what confirmation bias has only ever really been tested in a lab environment with doctors with white coats on, prodding and poking people with electrodes on their head. How on earth are we going to fit? How how are we going to take that and put it into an iPhone so people can play something for two minutes and reveal how confirmation biased they are and we 
we crack that as well as many other games. So what we do is we play a game of cards on a screen with people. And we say to people, these we're going to show you cards and they follow a particular rule. And all you have to do is guess what the rule is. That's it. Um, and what you do is you present three sets of cards, which clearly are red, black, red, black, red, black. And people kind of go, it's red, black. I get this. Mm. You go, okay, what do you think the rule is? And they go, red, black. Okay, we'll reveal it in a second. Then we show them more cards and they have to guess, does it follow or does it not? And very quickly, it becomes apparent that the rule isn't red, black. And yet about 80% of people continue to play the game as if it is red, black, even though the evidence is overwhelming that it's not red, black, because they now have a belief that they're right. Mm. So what they'll do is they'll play the game in a way that only confirms what they think and ignore the evidence that is glaring at them. Wow, that's really interesting. It's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And that's just one of a dozen behavioural tests that we've developed that reveal equally fascinating insights into what's going on in their heads when they're when they're making choices, not just money, choices generally. And that, I guess, leads to another point. Uh, it's a word I, I use often, and that's the word paradigm. You know, this belief system that has no basis of reality, and we kind of we make lots of decisions every single day based on what we believe to be true, yep. um, but actually the reality is quite the opposite. It is. Um, so how, how do you actually help people then? I mean, you've given me a couple of examples already, <laughs> but in terms of... Uh, and one thing I'm very interested to know, Neil, is... Do, do people's decisions change when they are, for example, more vulnerable? Divorcee, somebody's just sold a business, perhaps a bit more emotionally vulnerable than previously, stepped out of a comfort zone into something that's a bit more uncomfortable. Do, do, do people's decision-making uh, abilities, for want of a better expression, do they change radically when they find themselves in different situations, influenced by their environment, for example? Um, some t- so circumstantial um some of the, so some of the changes can be based on circumstantial input, if you like. So a divorce, a new child, losing a job, for example, can have a temporary um, impact on your decision making because you're right, the body is flooded with, you know, it's highly in, in a highly emotive state. But what we tend to do is we tend to resort back to type pretty quickly, actually. So if you are... Um, you know, one, let me let me give you another behaviour really quickly. There's another behavioural bias called herding, which is where we either make a decision based on independent um, input. So it's Neil Bage just thinking, no, I'm making the choice, or I'm influenced by the crowd, mm. by what everybody else is doing. Consensus. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So if everybody else runs, I kind of go, I'm not running, until the point when you look and you think, why am I the only one not running? Mm. And then you kind of just run without realising why you're running, right? So that's that's kind of, that's herding. And a lot of people, to to certain to varying degrees, are herded when they make choices. You can go kind of go inward at a at a time of turmoil or anxiety, and just kind of properly look in and not really ignore what's going on around the world. But if your natural type is to be is to follow the crowd, the pull of that is really really strong and can kind of yank you out of your inward looking self. Um, and factor is, or get or factor its way back into the way we make decisions. So, whilst yes, there are kind of um, ups and downs, if you like, in the in the behavioural patterns that we that we exhibit. When we measure, if we measure them in an unemotional state, and then emotional, then unemotional, you'll see that they kind of return back to type pretty quick. So I'm going to use a paradigm now. Mm. You don't strike me 
as a as a public speaker, but you do a lot of it. I do. Um, so how did that, how did that all start? Um, you know, you've got to be quite confident standing in front of a group of people, um, particularly you know your peers and, and so on. Uh, so how did all that start? And um, you know, does the skill or do the skills that you you need for public speaking do they help you in the work that you're doing at BIQ? They, so the answer to the second question is yeah, absolutely yes, they do, because all I do is spend my life talking to people. My public speaking career, if that's the right word, began when I was at Butlins. So I remember the first night, the guy who was running the main in, main venue um, said to me, do you fancy running the stage tonight? I'd be, I'll do that. I don't mind doing that. I, come, you know, my, I, I have um, entertainers in my in the in the family in my family history, so maybe there's a gene inside of me which is a bit of a show off gene. I don't know. I said absolutely, love to do that. And then I realised very quickly that there's three thousand people in front of me, and that's a moment of sh- sheer panic mm. actually. But you know what, Sandra? I don't know why, and I don't, and I'll never know why. Within a minute, if that. I've never felt so comfortable. Didn't have any nerves. And it just felt like something clicked inside of me, that I belonged there in front of those people, picking up a microphone and just talking and introducing famous acts and that, and, and, and so on and so forth. And then I was asked the next night, do you want to do it again? And then before I knew it, that was my thing. I was running the main venue every night. And then when I left there and I would went to work, I fell into financial services, somebody spotted exactly the same thing. And they said, we're running these big seminars around the country in front of financial advisors. Do you fancy being the kind of the MC for that? And Yeah, of course I will. Um, and, and I've never, since the day I stood on that stage at Butlins, there's never really been any lengthy period of time where I've never stood on a stage. Last year, I, I keynoted at um, the Excel Centre in London in front of 7,000 people. And it does. And the guy sat, sat next to me was absolutely petrified, petrified. And I was looking at him thinking, maybe there's something wrong with me because I'm not scared or nervous at all. I'm excited because I want to get out there and I want to talk to people and, and tell them stuff and educate them. But actually... I'm not like that. And why would you even put yourself in that situation? Yeah. You know, what are you doing, mate? Just give it to somebody else it to do. It begs the question, doesn't it? That's y- for you sure. Know. So, yeah, so, you know, it, it's something that I've done for a long time. I love doing, and I, I speak twice, sometimes three times a month at, at, at conferences around the world. Right. Wow. Okay. So, Neil, I'm going to ask you this question as well. I think this is very relevant to what you've been talking about today. What advice would you give to someone um, working for a company they feel in their gut could be doing things differently or better, but perhaps lack the courage to do something about it. And we've we've all been in that situation, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, we have. So how do we how do we deal with that situation if we find ourselves in it? Do you know the inner the inner turmoil that that brings is horrendous because I've been there. I, I've sat in a, a room when I was an employee, giving people, you know, my seniors ideas for things that we could be doing, thinking. I should be doing these. Why am I giving them to them? Because you don't get any praise. You know, what they do is they'll take it and they'll, they'll not really do the, the, the exact thing that I believe is the right thing to do and they'll change it and tweak it and then they'll get rid of it and all that type of... Th- so I get that people have this turmoil. But you know what? And only experience has taught me this because you, you you've got to kind of walk a mile in, in, your, in, in kind of those shoes to figure this out. If you are sitting and you genuinely believe... Do you know what? 
I think I can do this better or I can do something here. And, and I genuinely, not only do I have the belief, but I've done my kind of desk-based research, if you like, and I genuinely now know that there is a need for this thing. It's a really, really hard decision to make, but you've got to go with your instinct. You've got to, because you know what? And this is a, one of Neil Bage's life lessons, if you like. I refuse to live my life in a what, state of what if. I refuse to do it. I would rather do something and fail catastrophically, and I know I tried, than never, ever try. And, and, I, and I've said this to younger people in organisations, just try it. Just try. You know, commit. Mm. Fully commit. It's really hard work. It's not easy. But I tell you what, if you're right and this thing pays off, you'll never look back. And, you, you know, and that will bring you a sense of well-being that you will never get working for an employee who is taking your ideas and not and, and you feel kind of, you know, undervalued and and all of the things that come with that, you know. So um, my very succinct tip would, would be have the courage and just one foot in front of the other and do it. And I suppose from a reframing perspective, ask ourselves, you know, the last time we feared an outcome and we actually took a step and walk towards that destination we feared and then look back and thought actually it wasn't really as bad as we thought it was going to be that's you know one way of I guess framing because we do we do worry inertia comes from Hmm. a fear of an outcome which is yet to happen but that's that paradigm thing it's the it's the the experiences that we've had or seen others have so it is and you know what Sandra on this point there's two things that we need you need to or, or people need to just be very aware of there's, so if you talk about two words fear and anxiety so fear is about an imminent threat you know biologically it's we we our our kind of our sympathetic nervous system kicks in triggers a whole host of bodily functions to get fight or flight to get us out of there or stay in fight and that's fear because it's imminent anxiety is where something hasn't happened and it's it's us thinking about what could happen that's where anxiety comes in so when people say to me oh i'm, I'm really fearful of, of doing this you got you, you, it's not fear it's an anxiety of stepping into the unknown and do you know what ask yourself that question what's the worst that could happen hmm. and the and the probably the answer to that is it wouldn't work and you'll have to go back working for an employee well you've you've gained experience from that you know, so don't, people, not everybody, but some people I speak to tend to look at the world through a, 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 a negative lens all the time. Oh, yeah, but it might not work. Oh, yeah, but I might not get customers. But you might get customers and it might work. You know, and unless you try it and you don't live in this kind of this constant state of anxiety, um, you'll never know. And it's better to, it's better, in my opinion, mm. it's better to know. A Sandro Fortyism to support that. Yep. Discipline or regret, both painful. Yep. But if you don't do the first one, you're always going to get the second one. Um, I'm so, going to steal that. Are you? You're, well, <laughs> you're welcome. You heard it here first. Um, just tell us then, in summary, what is BIQ? Because we've danced around this mm. and I, we don't know what it is yet. Okay. So tell us what it is. BIQ is a behavioural insights company. So what that means is this. We, uh, we test people and we test what's going on in their heads in a really engaging way. So basically, we've we've launched, and it's only a, it's, it's in trial at the moment, but it can be downloaded. We've we've download we've put into the Apple App Store a, a an app called MyB M Y B E, and anybody with an iPhone can download it and can play behavioural test games, and it'll reveal behavioural biases that they have, and it'll tell them what to look out for, why that matters, and it's a it's a know thyself type app. And it's the first version of many versions we'll be launching this year. 
On top of that, so there's three elements. That's first element. Second element is we give to people who work with clients a kind of an analytics behavioural dashboard, if you like, where all the data from the app comes in and is made sense in relation to how can people help other people make better decisions. That's really funky, and it's a, it's stupidly powerful. One of the things that we have delivered, which I'm over the moon about, is what we call an empathy score. And it's where, so say you were my financial advisor, you would have taken all these tests, and I would have taken all the tests. And what, what the system flags is where there is a gap in our empathy in, in relation to particular behaviours. So, for example, if the stock markets are falling and I am highly loss-averse, I hate losing money, but you're not, then you, c- you can have sympathy with me, mm. but you can't have empathy because you will never behaviourally feel what I feel. Whereas if you do, that conversation is very different, right? So, we, so we, we show people things like that. And then the third thing that we do is... Um, which the public speaking links into, is we go out and we try and educate people around the kind of, this is who you are. So I'm speaking at a big um, customer event in a few weeks' time where there's 200, you know, kind of normal people, dare I use that phrase, are going to turn up and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to show them, you know, six, seven behavioural biases that are going on in their head right there and then in the room. I reveal them in the room. And then I wrap that up into a, what does this mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. You know, when you're making important decisions, not just financial decisions, but important decisions, this is how you think, John. Mary, this is how you think. And give people that that practical insight so that they can see something really fundamental that up until now has been hidden. That in a... I think I've answered the question. You have. Brilliant. That's kind of what BIQ is all about. Okay, fabulous. Okay, so um, how do we find out more about Neil Beige then? So we know about the app, so repeat that one for us one more time because I was hastily scribbling. No, so it's it's only on the Apple Store at the moment. Okay. But the name you need to search for is MyB, M-Y-B-E, all four letters put together, MyB. Sounds for my behaviour. I'm dashing off to have a go on that. It's very cool. Okay, and social media? You must do that stuff. Do you know what? I'm, I'm on Twitter all the time because it's easy so at Neil Beige hard G we've connected N-E-I-L-B-A-G-E yeah, yeah and the company also BIQ's is at Behavioural IQ um, I'm on Instagram Neil Beige um, what else I'm, I'm on LinkedIn I'm not on Facebook or anything like that mm. um, but social media if you want to find we out we don't about need more, to know what you have for breakfast do we so exactly okay. exactly yeah, right so, Facebook. So, twi- so Twitter LinkedIn and Instagram predominantly Twitter okay. is, is where I'm, I'm most visible fabulous and since you have covered so much ground today in a very short space of time and thank you for being so open and sharing some per- amazing pearls of wisdom um, last question, as we asked all of our guests, a way of summarising everything, and I think I know the answer to the mm. question because you've touched on this already, <laughs> uh, and I, I'm, I'm just second-guessing here. Yep. But if there was a younger version of you mm-hmm. who came up to you and said, Dad, I'd like uh, a few words from you to help me on my way in life with all that you've known from Butlins to Scandia, good company, by the way. Yep. I have to say you used those a lot in the past. Yep. Um, but from, from Butlins to Scandia to your PE teaching to all those amazing things you've done in your life, what one single piece of advice in a single sentence would you give to your son or daughter? I would say to, I would say to my son or daughter, always, always believe in yourself and never, ever waver on that. And if you believe something is worth worth pursuing, do it. 
don't don't live on a don't do never live in a world of regret. Well, there is a fantastic piece of advice from Neil Bage, our guest on the Sandro Forte podcast today. And if we don't follow up on that one and do something about it, then shame on us. I think we may as well pack up <laughs> our subscriptions and go somewhere else. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. You're I know you're welcome. very very busy, um, but now I know all the reasons why you've come so highly recommended by many many people. So thank, thank you. you. Possibly get you back again because I'm I, I, I'd love to do some deep dive stuff on I'd this. I'd love to. I'd love to come back. So and good luck with all you do and continue to do. Um, I'm going to go and have a play on the app and I encourage other people to do the same. Um, any books planned or anything else? Uh, you've got to have a book there in you, is, surely. There is, there is. I've already written my... I'm having, I, can't, I can't reveal any of the details, but I'm having a meeting in a few weeks' time with an editor of, of a big publishing house Okay. Um, where, I've, where I will be outlining my idea for my book, which actually links everything we've talked about today. It's about understanding... Um, it's it's aimed at just the normal person again who can pick up a book and learn about themselves. So this kind of this theory of know thyself, um, who who are you really? That type of thing. Well, here's the deal then. Yep. When the book launches, yep. come back on the show mm-hmm. and we'll do a we'll talk about it. Okay, deal. Fabulous, Neil Beige. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Well, that was the Sandro Forte podcast once again. Wasn't Neil Beige amazing? I, I've learnt so much today. Every week, of course, we have a new guest joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life challenges. So please make sure you subscribe. Follow us on social media, Sandro's Podcast. Same on all channels. Don't forget the S. And if you want to email us with a question, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. And don't forget to keep those suggestions coming. It was Neil Beige joining us on the show that came from one of those suggestions. So please leave those reviews on iTunes. Email us. Share with us what you want to hear more of in the future. And we will bring it to you. Until this time next week, Goodbye for now.